You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by New Outra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith. I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the increasingly popular topic of nutraceuticals, and we're going to explore if they're really all that they're cracked up to be. We'll chat to our guest about the basics of nutraceuticals, asking her how they're defined and regulated before looking ahead to what the future holds for this exciting area. We'll also talk about the work that our guest does within the nutraceutical industry and her role as a dietitian. To discuss this topic, I'm delighted to be joined by award-winning consultant dietitian Sophie Medlin. As many of you will know, Sophie is no stranger to the Dietitian Cafe podcast, having previously appeared on one of our very first episodes a couple of years ago. So we're really honoured to have her back with us. Um, Sophie is a well-recognized dietitian. She's known for dispelling myths and raising awareness of gut health issues and sharing evidence-based content across television and social media. Alongside her clinical work, she runs a consultancy business, formulating nutritional supplements and probiotic products. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Sophie and she can tell us a bit more about herself. Thanks so much, Harriet. Yeah, so I've been a dietitian for a long time now. I think I qualified 15 years ago, which feels like a lifetime. Um, I first off started working in the NHS like most dietitians do. And then I went into academia. So I was a lecturer and researcher for five years, which is where I met Harriet for the first time as a student. And I then went on, well, when I was working as a as a uh, academic, I sort of realized that that career path wasn't necessarily for me. And I also wanted to continue to see patients. And I had the opportunity to see patients in private practice. So I sort of started building up a bit of a uh, a, cl- a client caseload in that area. And uh, as time went along, I realized that in private practice, most dietitians were having to work as a sort of jack of all trades because of trying to get enough patient numbers up. And I felt that that was doing both the patients and the dietitians themselves a bit of a disservice. So I started putting together a team of really specialist dietitians who could cover the breadth of what dietitians do in specialities across the NHS. And now I'm really lucky to have a team of 11 dietitians and all kinds of different specialities working for me uh, as part of the clinic, which is city dietitians. And as you said, part alongside that, I also run a consultancy where I design vitamin and probiotic products for the new nutraceuticals industry, which I'm delighted to be able to talk to you about today. Uh, And I'm also lucky enough to do some media work. And we've just had a new show come out last night. Uh, Let me not timestamp that for you. We just had a new show come out on Channel 4 called Know Your can't say it. Um, I'm really happy with how that's gone down. We've had amazing viewing figures through this morning. So yeah, lots of exciting things going on in that world too. Great. Thank you so much, Sophie. Um, As I said, it's always wonderful to have you with us. So before we delve into our topics for discussion, we're going to do our quick fire round of questions so that we can get to know you on a bit more of a personal level. So my first question to you is, what is your favourite season of the year and why? I love autumn. I just get really excited. I love the summer and I love all seasons. And actually, I'm really sort of someone who loves all seasons. I love the change in season. It makes me feel really excited. But I love autumn. I think it's so beautiful. And I love those crisp autumn days where it's starting to get a bit cooler and it smells amazing and everything's getting exciting for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. And obviously, you've been very successful in your career as a dietitian. Um, Who's inspired you along the way and why? 
Great question. I think it's really difficult for me to answer that because there, if I think about different pillars of my life and different pillars of my um, career, there's lots of different people who inspire me. So I'm very lucky to have friends and family who inspire me in certain areas of my life. And then, of course, there are people within the industry who I think are incredibly inspirational and inspire me in other areas. So very hard to pinpoint to one person. I think I'm very lucky to have inspirational people at, at every wherever I turn in my life. Great. And final question. If you have time, which you probably don't, and you find yourself in the kitchen, what's your favorite dish to make or eat? (laughs) I love all food. Like I'm a real foodie. And I would say that one of my favorite dishes to cook, especially if I've got people coming and well, exclusively if I've got people coming really, would be like a slow cooked lamb, like a Moroccan lamb type dish with lots of different vegetables and sides and delicious things. Sounds wonderful. So we're going to delve into our um, topics for discussion. But just before I do that, obviously, you mentioned you've got this amazing new TV show out. And I just have to ask you, how did that come about? And can you tell us a bit more about that? Of course. Yeah. So um, we the show had been pitched. So the, the girls who run a company called The Gut Stuff, the twins, the Mac twins, they call themselves, so Lisa and Alana, they've been pitching this TV show for a long time and all along the way, so since before the pandemic, so 2019 kind of era, companies, so production companies and channels said to them that you'll never make a TV show about poo that's mainstream. They said to them it will be on some weird, obscure Sky Arts channel that no one will watch and no one will be interested. And finally, uh, two years ago, I think, they met the guys at Monkey Kingdom who produced the show and they just fell in love with the topic. They felt very excited about it. They really fell in love with the girls and um, it all started to come together. So we filmed a pilot in 2020, the end of 2021. Yeah. And that was then sent to Channel 4. Channel 4 loved it. And yeah, we got commissioned almost straight away, which was amazing and very unusual for a pilot. Um, And we filmed over the summer, uh, basically all through 2022. And yeah, it's finally been released now in January. So really exciting times. So uh, I've known Lisa and Alana, the Max Twins, for a long time. It's obviously both in the kind of gut health industry. And um, they invited me to screen test for it. And, you know, I've written a chapter of their book and been very involved for a long time. So it was lovely to be able to bring that relationship together, really, and, and film it together with my lovely friends. It was really fun. No, a huge congratulation. And um, we'll pop some more information on it in the show notes if people listening haven't watched it already. So to move back to our topic of nutraceuticals, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've ended up working in this quite interesting and exciting area of nutraceuticals? Yeah, for sure. So um, if you imagine, uh, well, I worked as a nutrition support dietitian. So I worked in the nutrition support team within the NHS. I did a lot of work and have always done a lot of work in colorectal surgery and and, in colorectal diseases and disorders. And as everyone hopefully listening will know, every bit of your gut does a slightly different job in terms of absorption of nutrients and also your experience of eating. But in this case, your sort of ability to absorb certain nutrients. So when surgeons cut out bits of people's bowel or bits of people's bowel aren't working properly, we end up having to supplement them with various different nutrients to try and make sure that they are getting everything that they need. And those nutrients might need to be supplemented via supplements, so regular capsule type supplements or soft gels, depending on the um bit of the bowel that's not necessarily working so well that might have to be liquid it might have to be iv so we think about the presentation of how we're going to give it to somebody how they're going to absorb it and all of that kind of stuff i also did a lot of prescribing of parenteral nutrition and things like that within my nhs work which 
actually interesting leads on quite nicely to formulating nutritional supplements um so i'd had a lot of experience of working with nutritional supplement products uh and nutritional supplementation in general as well as prescribing various different things and then i was approached by a company called heights which is my first kind of uh, supplement project and they said do you think you could design some nutritional supplements for various different things and i said yeah i can definitely put some formulas together and and figure things out and we can work through it together as a startup at the time so you know we're working on everything together and trying to make it work and it was a you know a real journey and i've learned so much along the way but that is essentially the story i knew a lot about vitamins and probi- um, and products and obviously know about probiotics from gut health perspective But then really in terms of things that we learn at university and things, we just don't have any additional training in this kind of stuff. So it was a learning along the way process. And of course, using my academic knowledge and ability to analyze research and things like that was so, so helpful and important in order to be able to design. And, you know, I still lean on that heavily now in order to be able to critique papers and design products that are evidence based. And talk us through your role of um, head of nutritional research at Heights. What exactly does that role involve? So what will generally happen is the guys will come to me with an idea or they'll say, we want to do something in this arena in terms of designing a product. And I'll say, well, okay, let me do a literature review and we'll see what's out there and we'll we'll figure out what feels right in terms of nutrients and ingredients that might be useful. Um, And I'll put together a bit of a a, draft formula for them and we'll see how that might work. And it also will depend on the presentation. So do they want it to be a liquid or a capsule or a probiotic? What area is it going to be in? So in terms of formulation, that's kind of where we sit. So we look at the dose, we're looking at the which nutrients are going to work, how they work together, whether people are actually commonly deficient or actually need those nutrients or whether we're just, you know, other companies will be chucking stuff in. And along that process, the the team will say, well, this company's doing this and this company's doing this. And very often I'm going, but I don't know why. <laughs> what have they done? There's no sense to the formula they've made. Um, so we're constantly having to kind of fight these battles that go, go along. Um And so when we're not in a formulation phase necessarily, I do a lot of work with them proving the efficacy of the products. So we work with external companies who do scientific research for us on our products to figure out whether they're working properly and and what sort of things we can expect from them. We also do a lot of work within the Heights community themselves. So people who take the product already or who are listed as being interested in the topic. And we do research with them looking at uh, various different things from blood, blood tests to stool tests and things like that to see how they are responding to our products and how we can improve them. And we work hard every quarter. We have a review meeting of all the new scientific data on every in- nutrient within the product so that we can make sure that there's nothing new that we need to be aware of. We're not missing anything. And maybe there's a new exciting ingredient that we want to consider for the formula. Wow. It sounds very diverse a role. And um, I don't know how you have any spare time alongside all the other amazing <laughs> stuff that you do. Um, do you work exclusively with Heights or do you work with other supplement companies as well? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate that Heights are not uh, people who want to be grabby with my time or my resources. So I'm very lucky to be able to work with other companies as well. And I can't, I don't think I can name, I was just chatting to all of them actually this morning to say, can I be happy for me to name drop you? And we're not quite there yet in terms of being able to release information. So if you'd give me another few months, we'd definitely be there. But there's a few companies that I also work for in terms of formulation and stuff like that. And I've got some products coming out myself in a three-way relationship with uh, a company, that another company 
couple of people and they're really close to being coming out. So I wish I could talk about them now. Amazing. Well, another watch your space scenario. <laughs> um, I just want to ask you in terms of um, dietitians and health professionals working with supplement companies, um, I certainly have spoken to colleagues and friends who are unclear as to whether they can kind of promote the product themselves. Do you have any um, knowledge around this area? Can you talk us through kind of what you can and can't do as a health professional? Yeah, really great question. And so there are lots of things that you can do and lots of things that you definitely can't do. So one of the things as a dietitian that I'm not allowed to do is be situated alongside the product if it's ever making a health claim. So for example, I can't hold up a a Heights bottle and say, this uh, contains vitamin D, which is really important for your immune health, or this product helps with immunity or brain health or anything like that. So I have to be really careful about the uh, positioning of me alongside the product and health claims is the main thing to be really careful of. We've had a interesting situation in the industry recently. So for example, I wouldn't be allowed to release a, a range of uh, vitamins that were called Sophie Dietitian or Sophie Medlin or that had my name associated with them or that had city dietitians, for example, associated with them as a company name. So you can't have your company name as part of a product range because it suggests that you're kind of, or you are endorsing them and you've got to be quite careful with that. The way that I generally navigate things, I do very little for heights on my social media, certainly have done historically a little bit more currently because we've got the new probiotic product out, but it's very much centered on how we made it, what that process is, what I've learned on the journey of making that probiotic product rather than saying, here's our amazing probiotic and this is what it does and please buy it because we can never be again situated there saying you must buy this product and it's the only one and that kind of stuff is very uh is not not legal within our profession yeah it's a very complex area regulatory affairs and like you said we don't get taught a lot of it when we're studying as dietitians um congratulations on the launch of the heights probiotic um product it sounds really exciting can you tell us a bit more about the aim of heights and the products that they make and how you came about to launch that probiotic yeah sure so heights is a brain health company and brain health is one of those things that i guess is kind of in its infancy so we think a lot about heart health and that kind of stuff but we don't often think about brain health people even think about hair health and skin health more than think about brain health um so with the probiotic product what we are really looking to focus on is the gut brain axis and there's some really exciting and amazing data to show that the bacteria that live in your colon can have a huge impact on your mental health because of course they're consistently releasing neurotransmitters that can communicate with your brain and we also think that things like anxiety depression that kind of thing are very closely linked with inflammation and of course your gut bacteria play a really crucial role in controlling inflammation within the whole body so gut bacteria and mental health very closely linked now and that's a, a really exciting area of science we think about it as psychobiotics as a study of probiotics in the uh, improvement of psychology and there's been great date mouse data for ages but that's starting to come into human trials now which is really exciting so that's really the focus of the probiotic and i guess from a clinical application perspective the things that i would hope that it would really help with would be thinking about patients who have ibs that we think is linked to visceral hypersensitivity so how much your gut and your brain are communi- over communicating perhaps and that might be creating some of those ibs symptoms that people are experiencing so that's kind of the clinical indication if that makes sense It does. Yes. And what has been the biggest kind of takeaway or lesson that you've learned through the development of a smart probiotic? Probiotics are an absolute nightmare to make. I thought making the smart supplement, which is our vitamin product, would have been 
that would have been harder because we've got so many more ingredients in there. But the and it's also a dual cap, so you've got two different elements to the capsules themselves no making a probiotic product is really really hard work for lots of different reasons so probiotics are really unstable you have to make sure you get the dose right you have to do lots of additional testing to make sure that the capsules are getting to your colon where they need to be uh doing their job and you don't have to do that stuff companies don't have to do that stuff but as heights you know we're so conscious about efficacy and making sure that our products are reliable and working so we're really keen to make sure we do that testing before we release anything into the public domain um, so the probiotic took about two years to get to launch from kind of concept to launch. Um, there's lots of things that we I didn't appreciate beforehand, things like different probiotics compete with each other for not only in the capsules, they can kill each other off, but also when you take them, they can compete for uh, sort of, they're all competing all the time for real estate on your bowel wall, right? But some are particularly not good for each other and they don't play very well together. They call them kissing cousins. So some of them are like ones that just shouldn't be in the same capsule together because they're too similar or not similar enough. Um, And they're really unstable probiotics. So you have to be really careful about their shelf life. You have to be really careful about getting them to people straight away because they denature consistently in the packaging and they you know most of the ones that you pick up off the shelves in health food shops and things there's probably very few live bacteria left in there so it's a complicated field and it's hard to get it right but I feel really confident with the product and I'm really proud of what we've managed to pull off yeah it definitely sounds like you've been on a real journey to get there um and they're very lucky to have your evidence-based knowledge behind it um So just taking a step back here for a moment, obviously we're talking all about nutraceuticals today. So for people who are maybe not so familiar with this term, how do we go about defining nutraceuticals? What are they? So when we think about nutraceuticals, we're thinking specifically about the addition of nutrition, so vitamins, minerals, trace elements, that kind of stuff, to food products, for example, at a dose and at a level that is going to have a biological impact in your body. Uh, so, for example, prevent uh, sort of supporting with the prevention of aging of cells, for example, that kind of thing. Um, and we also obviously consume nutraceuticals in terms of in in capsules, sometimes in shops and things like that. Now, so lots of different presentations that are coming through. Some people are interested in skin patches. There's lots of other ways of also introducing vitamin and minerals uh, into your body in a way that will have a biologically effective uh, benefit. And from your experience, what are the most kind of common or popular nutraceuticals amongst the general public at the moment? So people are really interested. So obviously we know that everyone should be taking vitamin D. So I'd say that vitamin D is one of the ones that most people are really familiar with and probably the one that healthcare professionals feel the most confident in terms of prescribing and recommending the probiotic world is just blowing up at the moment and we're really in this phase where we can sort of use targeted probiotics for specific benefits now which is really nice so that's a new kind of phase for probiotics if you like uh gut health is big on the public's agenda right now also anti-aging is always going to be we've seen a lot of collagen hype which i think is hype rather than evidence at the moment um that during COVID, we had a lot of immunity hype. So people taking high doses of things like vitamin C and all sorts of different things. And, I, you know, I would say in general, the public's um, interest in these sorts of things goes along with any other trends that are happening and, and people's interest will wax and wane depending on what's been said in the press and all sorts of other things. Yeah, absolutely. And especially at this time of year, January, lots of people, you know, it's on their radar, supplements, um, diets. So in terms of where we find nutraceuticals, um, does someone need to go out and buy a supplement or are they typically added to foods by manufacturers? What are the different formats that they come in? 
So generally we're looking at capsules, liquids, that kind of stuff. So things that have been added, things that you might imagine going to buy from a health food shop, for example, um, or you might find them in functional foods, we would call them. So some companies now are adding vitamin D, for example, to various different products, including eggs and milk and all sorts of other things. So it really depends on the, the presentation. We also have in this country some mandatory fortification of products like flour, for example, with folic acid. So I don't think that specifically would come under nutraceuticals, but I think it's always worth the general public being aware of, of where they're getting things from and what's important. One of the things that concerns me slightly with the food products that contain various different vitamins. So, for example, B vitamins are really good for energy. So companies who want to talk about energy from their products may well add B vitamins to bars and protein shakes and all kinds of other things. And actually, that can mean that people are really doubling up or taking really high doses of these things if they're also taking a B vitamin supplement and other things as well. So there's this kind of potential stacking effect, which isn't necessarily good for everybody. Um so, yeah, they can be in lots of different places. And I think the key message for the general public is to check labels of things so you know what you're taking because companies use sneaky health claims here and there and everywhere. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot a lot of confusion um, around health claims at the moment. Um, and on that note, do nutraceuticals have to be added in a certain quantity to be defined as such? Yeah, in general, we have to be using more than 15% of the RDA, so the recommended daily allowance for that particular nutrient in order to be able to make a health claim for it. And that's another sneaky thing that I see happening in the industry where people are just just on the borderline of the actual amount. And it's probably not doing anything at all for you, but it means they can use the health claim. And who regulates those health claims and sets um, that criteria for the amount that needs to be added? So at the moment, we're still under EFSA guidelines, which is the European Federation who manage things like health claims and uh, nutrient claims. So it's things like, can I say that this has even got vitamin C in it if I don't put a particular amount in? So EFSA regulate that at the moment. I would, I mean, now that we are in a post-Brexit world, I would suggest that at some some point that might be reviewed, but it's going to be a long way down on the government's agenda to, to uproot that at any point in the near future, I would say. Yeah, interesting. And how have you gone about learning all this information when, as you mentioned earlier, it's not really taught to us, particularly as dietitians? Um, is it something you've learned on the job? Have you had to work alongside other experts in this area? How have you gone about upskilling your knowledge? Yeah, I mean, all of the above. So uh, lots of it's learned on the job. Lots of it is linking up with other amazing professionals within the vitamin and mineral space or the uh, nutraceutical space and often not dietitians or nutritionists, people who are much more in the kind of uh, field of just been in the nutrition industry for a long nutritional supplement industry, I should say, for a long time and have got loads of excellent knowledge. And there's also amazing people within the field like Claire Basley, who does a lot of she's a nutritionist and does amazing work in nutrition regulations and things like that. So there are amazing peers of ours in perhaps more in nutri as perhaps more nutritionists than dietitians who we can look to for advice and guidance. And I certainly do lean on their expertise, but really lots of upskilling, lots of talking to colleagues and learning as we go and lots and lots of meetings, learning about different things and being sent lots of documents and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Very much a multidisciplinary approach, just like in, in healthcare. Um, so in terms of dietitians, obviously we talk a lot about a food first approach and advocating for a healthy balanced diet. And today we're talking about potentially adding in nutraceuticals and supplements to that diet. So where's the fine line between that, especially in your own um, clinical work when you're seeing patients? How do we kind of avoid just 
getting patients to pop all these pills um, versus getting everything they need through their diet? Yeah, great question. I think that, as you say, it is a really fine line and that's really worth pointing out. I would say um, the the key thing to remember is that in terms of meeting nutritional requirements for micronutrients in particular, if you imagine the way that most people live now, we're very often living a very fast paced lifestyle. We're often relying on convenience foods and not actually having a particularly well-balanced diet that's going to definitely provide all of the nutrients that we need at a reliable level every day. So that said, there are many people who are not eating in a way that is very likely every day to make sure they're meeting their nutritional requirement, all of their micronutrient needs. I also obviously work with patients who have bowel conditions and diseases, in, in which case they have very specific micronutrient deficiencies that are much more common. And we're sort of in a better position to confidently, from an evidence-based perspective, recommend various different nutrients. There are certain nutrients that we know to be particularly important at different life stages. So if we take calcium as a postmenopause supplement, for example, there are many different examples of that within evidence-based practice that we know are different life stages. You're going to require more of various different nutrients. So it's about having a kind of global awareness of that, which most dietitians do uh, who are working in clinical practice. So the thing to remember, I suppose, within clinical practice is that you do, not everybody needs a nutritional supplement but most people are unlikely to be meeting all of their nutritional needs all the time, particularly for their specific life stage or with particular conditions that they've got, or if they are particularly stressed or anxious people who are doing various different high knowledge level jobs, that kind of stuff. So that's where we can sort of guide people a little bit. And one of the things I'm really careful of in my clinical practice is never to directly recommend the products that I financially benefit from being involved with. Um, because I, I feel that that's a very, uh, I'm very anti taking any kind of backhanders for anything that I recommend in my clinical practice. So if I'm working with patients, I'm recommending vitamin products. I'll send them links to company websites and things like that. I'll never say, oh, here's my code and you can do this and that because it just doesn't sit comfortably with me. I think there's a very fine line to be drawn there in particular. And for me, I'd like to prefer to sit on the absolutely never line as opposed to, oh, sometimes I might feel all right about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of being an ethical healthcare practitioner. Yeah. Um, and in terms of nutraceuticals becoming more popular, why do you think that has been, especially in recent years? I think that the market, a lot of it is driven by the market. I mean, the menopause market is a really interesting and growing market at the moment. And what's really happened is that companies have gone, oh, this is a really underserved community. Let me release loads of products into this market. And now it's really saturated and there's loads of really poor quality products out there. And people, women are obviously finding it really hard to differentiate a good product from a bad product and what will actually work for them. So a lot of it is led by the industry and the industry saying, oh, this is really important at the moment. And, you know, COVID is another great example of people suddenly buying loads of you know, vitamin C, for example, to try and ward off COVID because people have told them it's going to work. So there's also, of course, Instagram and social media and how influencers are impacting people's nutritional choices. That's we see that every day in terms of our clinical practice. But I think that there's lots of different factors that drive people's interest. And very few of them are to do with, you know, government level or nutrition experts or uh, experts is a bad word qualified nutrition people saying that they should be taking supplements in a, you know, differently. And um, another area I'm keen to ask you about is personalized nutrition, because obviously we've been hearing a lot about that recently and there's more emerging research coming out in that area. So how do you think that the popularity in nutraceuticals and supplements is going to potentially 
tie in with this interest around personalized nutrition in the future? Oh, I think it's difficult. I think personalized nutrition is very interesting and exciting. And I think that there's lots of potential for it. What I feel very strongly is that at the moment it's a very um it's a very it's a it's a process that requires a lot of money and it's not accessible to everybody in the way that, you know, maybe one day it might be. Um I think that the level of testing that is encouraged as part of personalized nutrition is generally going to be overkill. And there's markups on all these things, right? So the company's making lots of money on the tests that you choose to have and pushing you into doing additional tests that perhaps are actually not necessary for you all the time. That said, we do see the more that we test, the more that we see that the healthy population do have many more deficiencies than we ever thought they did. So we have these uh, you know, Harry, and everyone listening hopefully will know, we have books that say oh, it's very unlikely that a healthy person will be deficient in B vitamins, for example. But actually, the more that, say, for example, big uh, personalized nutrition companies do testing on healthy people and their B vitamin levels, we're seeing much more deficiency than perhaps we ever realized was there in the healthy population. So there are pros and cons. I think that for in general, I always recommend that people see a registered dietitian rather than going down the personalized nutrition route because it's going to be much better value. And we're also very likely to be able to give you the same sort of personalized information without you having to have loads of tests and pay for it, pay loads of extra for it all. Yeah, I was going to ask you in private practice, do you tend to recommend that your patients do get tested for various vitamins and minerals? No, so only when necessary. So you know, for example, if someone's got uh, an ileostomy, there are certain nutrition nutrients that they're much more likely to be deficient in, in which case I'd write to their GP and request that, that the test be done. And that's certainly not the way that everyone works in private practice and lots of people will be uh, getting patients to pay for tests and then them taking a markup on that, for example. So taking some extra money for that. It's just not the way that I prefer to work. Some of my patients may request to have their test done privately and we can certainly arrange that. That's no problem and zero judgment, obviously, but it's just about the way that you choose to run your practice, I think. And for me, I would never want to request a test, a blood test in particular, that I don't think is necessary because there's lots of ethical implications with that and uh, it's, it's not nice for the patient and everything else. So in general, if patients require a blood test to find out about deficiencies, or I think they're high risk of deficiencies, I'll request that through their GP rather than making them pay extra from a commercial company. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, in terms of nutraceuticals, um, if we're being honest, you know, a lot of the time people are going to have to go out and buy them themselves as opposed to getting them prescribed on the NHS, for example. So in your opinion, do you think nutraceuticals are limited to um, people who've got perhaps more disposable income? Is there a bit of a, um, uh, yeah, is there a bit of a gap there, do you think? Yeah, for sure. And the truth is, it's actually really difficult to make good quality supplements in an affordable way. So having worked in the industry for a while now, people will often come to me and say, I want to make a supplement like this, but I, I want it to be, I want it to cost this much money. And actually in order to be able to make a really good quality nutritional supplement, you do have to spend a bit more money. So anyone who in dietitians listening, but also people like general public listening, it's really worth remembering that um, you can get a, a multi, a really good quality multivitamin prescribed via your GP if you need it. So if there's a clinical indication for it. There is a really good uh, multivitamin product called Forceval, which is available on prescription. And GPs, are, in my experience, GPs are more than happy to prescribe it where necessary. Um, you know, I would also say that often 
the patients, the people, the general public who just are taking a multivitamin as a precaution, as a kind of safety net. I don't think that the quality is as important. But if you you know have iron deficiency anemia, for example, and that's been diagnosed, it's really important that you get the right stuff at the right time and the right preparation and everything else. And the same with vitamin D, it's really important to take it all year round, but uh, it's taking the winter months. So I think it is difficult and it certainly is feels like an elitist thing, but actually you can buy some very cheap multivitamin products that will probably do. And, you know, ultimately, ideally, people are getting them from their food anyway. Yeah, I was just going to say, obviously, not to forget the fact that some of their diet is going to contribute to their intake as well as the nutraceuticals we're talking about today. Um, so just going back to the development stage that you've been heavily involved with, with heights, is there anything unexpected or um, perhaps something that we might be surprised to hear about that you've learned along the way? My God, I feel like there's a million things. It's been quite the roller coaster. One of the things that I didn't quite appreciate was that basically anyone, anyone, influencer, anybody, your next door neighbor could go to a manufacturing company and say, I want to start making some vitamins and pretty much put whatever they want to into a capsule and off they go. So there is very, very little regulation of what you can put in something. There's loads of regulation about what you can say about it, but it's going to take you a long time to be prosecuted for that, unfortunately. But ultimately, you can put anything that you want to in a capsule. You can sell a million products that have got loads of different things in them that do all the same thing, that don't have any benefits or that are potentially toxic doses and that's kind of just allowed within the industry which is terrifying to me so there's no reason or or legislation that says that somebody has to be qualified in order to design or manufacture a a nutrition product um and we see that more and more with influencers but also with um you know uh, people buying products from amazon and all sorts of different places and then being imported and coming from countries where there literally is no regulation at all which is terrifying um I think as well, the one of the things that's been really tricky along the way and something that dietitians might be interested in hearing is that I might send a formula to a manufacturer and then they might send it back and it's slightly different to what I've sent in or they've made some additions. So often they're like, why don't you put a bit of this in and a bit of this in and a bit of this in? And I'm like, no, no, I've, I've, I've thought this through. You know, I've made a plan here and I've thought it through. But that's because they're used to people with no knowledge going, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's have a bit of this. Let's have a bit of that. And it's probably just stuff they're trying to get rid of or stuff that they've got really cheaply. Um, so really I have to be the no person a lot of the time in that conversation and push back a lot and you know, I've seen people come through and they've formulas come back to me and they've added a load of like B vitamin, for example, to something. And I'm like, why, why have you put that in there? Like, why have you just changed the formula? And again, it's just because they're not used to people caring about what's in there. They're just used to people going, yeah, sure, get it made. I don't care. So it's a complicated area and you have to be almost on your guard all the time. And it's only, I would say, in the last 18 months that I've seen a shift in the industry and company manufacturers having a bit more of a handle on what we mean by, you know, uh, evidence-based products and scientifically rigorous products, because previously it was literally, you know, just put whatever you want to in it. And and that's still what most companies are doing. Yeah, that's really interesting. It almost sounds like you're kind of in a candy shop and they're just trying to chuck a bit of everything into the supplement. Yeah. And are there any supplements that you've personally been involved with that you um, take yourself, for example? You've mentioned the probiotic. Um, just really curious to hear as a dietitian whether you take anything. Yeah, I mean, I take heights every day and I know this sounds like an ad, but I, I've felt a massive benefit taking it. Um, 
And to be honest, like I was super skeptical. So I did all the research to design it and everything else. And then when it came to, when it came down to it, I was like, yeah, but I'm a dietitian and I don't really think I need all this stuff, but I know that the research shows that it will work and it will do what I'm trying to make it do. But you know, I'm still a dietitian. I'm just not sure that I really need it all. And then when I started taking it consistently, I really noticed a benefit in terms of my like focus concentration. I've got ADHD. So I think it's probably even more beneficial for somebody like me. Um, also things like just being able to cope with high pressure situations better. And of course that coincides with me being more advanced in my career and being able to manage my life differently and all kinds of other things. So it's always really hard to pinpoint it to that particular thing. I feel like I notice a difference when I don't take it. And that's what lots of my friends and family. So lots of my friends and family were like, we only started taking it because you said that you were doing it and wanted to support you. But now I feel like I can't do without it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I take heights. I take heights, the, the smart supplement and also take the um, probiotic product, um, which has been great and really exciting. And yeah, there's other companies coming through and I'll have to make some decisions about what I take every day. And not the same. Yeah, absolutely. And is there a particular nutraceutical that you um, are particularly interested in with regards to the future direction that research is heading in? I think that the probiotic world is where people's interest, where the public interest is. I think prebiotics are also really interesting and exciting so the food for good bacteria i think that's something that we can all start thinking about but i still think food is absolutely the best source of that um so gut health the gut health space is going to continue to grow but i think that the area that the general public are particularly interested in at the moment is is preparations that can help to manage anxiety and stress and sleep so natural things for that kind of stuff so lots of interest and excitement around things like ashwagandha and l-theanine and other products that we know can have a benefit on stress and anxiety and things like that um, when taken at an effective dose. And, and that's the sort of area I think that people, you know, things like omega-3 and some of this really low-hanging fruit in terms of brain health, like there's sort of lots of public interest in that because we've seen such a huge in, increase in people taking antidepressants and SSRIs during the, uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, mental health being such a big topic. But are there any contraindications when it comes to nutraceuticals? Are there any groups that maybe need to be a bit cautious when it comes to taking supplements? Yeah, for sure. I would say, and I always say, anyone who has any diagnosed medical condition or anyone who takes any prescription medications should absolutely check with their pharmacist, doctor or dietitian before they start taking any new vitamins because there are various different uh, situations where it could be potentially dangerous for you to take a nutraceutical product. And similarly, if you are taking any, you know, it's the same thing, but if you're taking any SSRIs or mental health products, you, uh, medications, you really want to be careful about what else you add into that mix because it can change things and affect what's going on with your medications. And that could potentially be really, really risky. So yeah, I would say anyone who has a diagnosed medical condition or who takes any prescription medication should always check with their GP pharmacist or dietitian before they start a nutraceutical product. Yeah, really wise advice. And finally, as we come to the end of the episode, I'm curious to hear what you think the future of nutraceuticals holds. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really, I, I love the space and I find that the creativity that I can put into it is is alongside obviously the evidence-based rigor is really exciting. Like I think it's a really nice space to be in and, and there's only increasing public interest in it. I think that the, the space is going to continue to expand and grow. And I think that 
the more dietitians that are involved in the space, the better. And I'm doing a lot of work in the industry at the moment and sort of really banging that drum of saying, if you haven't got a really good dietitian on your team or a nutritionist, uh, you know, well-qualified nutritionist on the team, you're not doing it right and you're potentially putting people at risk. So I think within the space, dietitians holding more of a, of that space and being more involved in it, I think that that's a really exciting area for our growth and expansion within the industry. Um, what was your specific question, Harriet? I was just asking what you think the future of nutraceuticals holds. Yeah. I think that the future of nutraceuticals really involves dietitians much more heavily. And I think that that's an exciting space for us. And I think we will just continue to expand and learn more about different uh, nutrients that can be potentially beneficial for people at different doses. There's great research going on about kind of um, uh, therapeutic doses of various different nutrients. So we've sort of moved on from the conversation of meeting your RDA, so meeting your basic requirements, to actually what happens and can we get some additional benefits if we take higher doses of these things and what dose is that and what's safe and what's less safe for people. So I think there's lots of exciting stuff going on and it will, you know, the more research that happens, the more exciting things get. No, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you've got next at Heights and indeed with your own supplement range. And just a final question to end on, what what's the future for Sophie Medlin, City Dietitians? What's kind of next in the pipeline for you, do you think? Oh, I have no idea, Harriet. So this year, I think um, there's a book on the way, hopefully. There is hopefully a podcast of my own on the way, which I've been sitting on for years. Hopefully we'll get the series recommissioned. There's lots of things going on. And obviously City Dietitians continues to grow. And I'm very proud of that business and everyone that works for it. So I think there's lots of, I think it's really, uh, hopefully it's going to be a really exciting year for me and for us as a company. And yeah, it's a, it's a rapid growth time, which is slightly terrifying, but it's all coming together, which is really nice. Oh, well, thank you for finding time to come on the Dietitian Cafe again. It's been great chatting with you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much for New Outro for making this podcast possible. If you enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe, please consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can follow New Outro on social media at New Outro across all platforms to keep up to date with the pod and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon. Bye.